Good morning. You are listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. I'm Janine, and this is Get the Funk Out. Standing by to join me is Barbara Becker. She's author of Heartwood, The Art of Living with the End in Mind. And she is also winner of a Gold Nautilus Award. Welcome to the show. It's great to be here. How did it feel winning that Gold Nautilus Award? Wow. Oh, what an honor that was. Um, The Nautilus Award tagline is Better Books for a Better World. And I am so grateful that they are willing to take on a topic like loss and love. Mm Mm-hmm. So without giving too much away, because we, we talked beforehand, um, tell me about how this book came about. So this book came about when my earliest childhood friend, Marissa, was diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer. And she fought a courageous battle against her disease. And when the doctors told her she had no more than a year left, to live, she went on a journey that inspired me to the core. I mean, Marissa, between chemo treatments, went to Italy, which was her family's ancestral home. She married her college sweetheart, David, and she just spent so much quality time with people who she adored and her beloved cats as well. (laughs) I mean, she was never without joy, which was astounding. But, you know, in the meantime, I was just completely anxiety-ridden. I was really a mess. Yes. I uh, just found myself awake in the middle of the night every single night worrying about her death Mm. Uh, my parents' future deaths—they were healthy and alive—and I was just worried about them. Anxiety, and, and I was worried about my own mortality. Of course, yeah. So during that time, I I took on death like a teacher, and I did what I I tend to do when I'm confused about something, which is that I order every single book under the sun mm. on any given topic. And this one was death. And my husband was, like, shaking his head every single time, you know, the the mail delivery guy brought a new book on death to our house. Another book. But, you know, I discovered in doing that that wise people throughout time have advised us that if we want to live fully, Mm -hmm. we should live with the end in mind. No, we shouldn't be denying our mortality, but instead turning around to face it. And yes. in that way, they promised, um, we actually would really appreciate everything that our precious lives have to bring us. So I myself went on a journey that initially was just a year. I was blogging about my experience while Marissa was dying. And then it turned into a book. Incredible. And so healing for you, you know, because the where we put our grief and how we process it is so important. Yes, that's right. And the more creative outlets we can find or the places that bring us joy, which could be cooking or spending time in nature, you know, but while we turn to the positive ways to deal and work through our grief, 
um, is so much better than what people sometimes have the tendency to do, which is to turn to our addiction. Right, right. I mean, understandably so. So how were you able to, you know, start processing all your emotions and decide you were going to put this into a book? So I decided that I was going to use Marissa's journey as um, a benchmark for myself. And there were things that I had not dealt with yet in my own life. Uh, one of those was that I had lost two pregnancies to miscarriage. Oh, wow. You know, it was a time when we really didn't talk about loss like that. I mean, now we have celebrities talking about their miscarriages, but this was 20 years ago, and social media didn't really exist, you know, in order to, like, right. even talk more broadly about our losses. Sure. So sure. I, I took that very particular grief journey on as well, and I went back and I actually one day on the National Day of Pregnancy and Infant Loss put up on my Facebook page the names of the two daughters that we would have had, and oh, wow. I told people a little bit about my story, and before I knew it, I had over a 100 people, women and men, talking about the loss of, of pregnancies that they had wanted as well. And what was so amazing to me about that was that I knew all of those people, but I only knew about half of their stories. Mm. So we were all holding those yes. secrets. Yeah. I know, because you don't really know who to share it with or if you want to share it or how it's holding you back. Yeah, that's right. And in the process, I demanded silence of my husband as well, because I didn't want him talking about it. I was really? afraid of people's pity. I just mm. didn't want people to come up and, and what I perceived at the time as like, poor you kind mm -hmm. of thing, while everybody else around me seemed to be able to have children. I was, I was afraid of breaking down. And that sure. was the root of my silence. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. I shared with you how I started this show because of a loss of a friend uh, back uh, 2010, December 29th. And I noticed uh, some people didn't want to talk to me about it, some family members or the way they just silenced it or just didn't want to get into it. And everybody processes loss very differently, um, but I wanted to talk about it. Yeah, and we we don't have many great examples in our culture of learning how to talk to people about their grief. And one of the things I did in the course of writing this book is I was trained by two Zen monks in New York City in how to be with the dying. Um, they placed me at Bellevue Hospital, which is our largest public hospital in the city, and I've literally sat with hundreds, almost a thousand people at the end of their lives. And what I've learned is that it's no more complicated than pulling up a chair and saying, tell me about it. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And people um, love a present, compassionate ear. 
And uh, we don't have to have the perfect line about how sorry we were. Um, it's counterproductive to say, I get it, because maybe you don't. You know, sure. it just really is a matter of sitting and listening. And, and we're not so equipped to understand that in our culture. Yes. We started this conversation by you telling me how your friends started living a more purpose-driven life. And I started yes. thinking, as you're telling me this, why is it we can't do that when we, you know, don't have a diagnosis? You know, we, we just go through life not living like that. Oh, I hear you. It's something I've been puzzling through myself. You know, while I was thinking about Marissa, I came across a speech by Apple. Steve Jobs, and he himself had been diagnosed with cancer quite young, and and he said in a commencement speech that death is very likely the single best invention of life. It is life's change agent. Look at that. I mean, truth. Yeah, Yeah. truth right there. And it took um, cancer for him to see that himself. So I find that there are um, religious and spiritual traditions around the world that sort of help ease us into um, the idea of the fact that we're mortal. You see this in the um, Sufi, which is the, the mystical dimension of Islam, the Sufi poets like Rumi and Rabia, and you see it in the teachings of the Buddha. And back back in the day, monks um, used to sit in charnel grounds, which were places where they placed dead bodies to be consumed in a natural way by vultures and, and animals. And monks, it was a practice to sit down in these graveyards and to watch the decomposition process because it was a, a, the idea that this will happen to me and every single person on the planet someday. Sure. Inevitable. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me more about your book. Uh, I mean, I know you work as a chaplain. You also work in a hospice. Did that influence the way you wrote this? It really did. I have a number of stories in Heartwood about patients who I encountered along the way. Um, And the thing that fascinated me was that people had different ways of dealing with dying based on their um, culture and religion and race. Um, And I I loved the interpretations. They, They really motivated me to learn more about the world's religious traditions. You know, for instance, One day, I walked into the room of a woman from New Zealand, and she was in New York on an artist's residency, and she was by herself when she was diagnosed with a terminal condition that was moving really quickly. So she ended up at Bellevue, and um, I, I wanted to see how she was faring since she was alone. I spent a lot of time with her. And at one point, she said to me, you know, Barbara, I'm not alone at all. You know, in my mm-hmm. culture, which is Maori, she was indigenous New Zealand, she said, we believe that the ancestors come around our bedside. 
And she said, I can see them. I can feel them. They're here to take me over the threshold to the other side. And I thought that was so beautiful. Definitely. Yes. Yeah. By the way, you've gotten some incredible reviews. Book list, library journal, Kirkus, Gloria Steinem. (laughs) How does that feel? It feels great. I, I, you know, Gloria Steinem said to me that um, telling our own stories is one of the most important things we have to do in life, but also one of the hardest. And wow, did I feel that as I was writing this book. Um, I, Gloria Steinem and I know one of the women in the book in common It's a young woman named Console who was a survivor of the Rwandan genocide. And during that time, she was 14 years old, and her father and her three little brothers were murdered. Um, And Console now lives in New York City, and she is one of the most inspiring people that I know, in spite of the fact that she herself was raped and contracted HIV-AIDS during mm. that time. Wow. But she, um, she does exactly what Gloria Steinem suggested. I mean, she has learned to tell her story for the benefit of other people who are struggling. And I have watched her, when she first started telling that story, break down and cry in front of a huge audience of United Nations type of people in New York and now she can tell it now she goes into schools and she talks to high schoolers and I really think that she's spreading a message of presence and of peace and truly of love and forgiveness as well sure amazing now I was reading on um, the show blog uh, and by the way if you're just tuning in we're talking with author Barbara Becker about her book, The Art of Living, with the end in mind. It's called Heartwood. And uh, I was reading how, you know, here you are writing this book, and then you were diagnosed with breast cancer. That's right. I mean, talk about a where the rubber meets the road kind of moment. Yes. Um, Actually, on the very day that Heartwood was launched into the world, I was having surgery for this new diagnosis. And I really, I was forced to turn to my own pages of my own book for um, inspiration and to see, does, does this actually work? And, you know, I really discovered that it does. I think the process of writing Heartwood reminded me what our friends the Taoists say, which is that this is a world of 10,000 joys and 10,000 sorrows. And we have to dance between those. We can't brush aside the parts that we don't want. No, it's it's really about learning to face life as it is, not so much as we would like it to be. Exactly. No, I love it. Now, we need to wrap up soon, but where can people find out more about you? I have a website, barbarabecker.com. And Heartwood is available wherever books are sold. I love indie bookstores, and they can all order it if they don't have it on their shelves. I went to a great one in New York, a Shakespeare and Company. Oh, yes. 
Yeah, this is a a land of some wonderful bookstores. Do you want to shout out to any of them? Well, another place that I love is UncommonGoods.com, which is an unusual gift um, company, and they're based in Brooklyn, New York. Fantastic. And one last thing I didn't ask you, for people that are aspiring writers, uh, but they struggle, do you have any advice for them? Mm. I think thinking about writing as a sacred act is really helpful. It takes it from the dimension of, I have to do something. It's, you know, a bucket list or a to-do item and turns it into a meaningful activity. So one of the things I love to do is to light a candle and have it on my desk as I'm writing. I love that. I, yeah. I don't know. That gives me focus. Doing yes. Yeah. Focus and Calm. expansiveness all at once. Definitely. Well, Barbara, I want to thank you so much for calling into the show, and congratulations on your book. Thank you so much. What a pleasure. Take care and and, uh, have a happy new year and a happy holiday. You also. Be well. Bye-bye. If you missed any part of my conversation with Barbara Becker, I will have it up later on as a podcast on the show blog, which is getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. And uh, you can read all about Barbara on the show blog right now about her book, Heartwood, The Art of Living with the End in Mind. Hope your Monday is off to a great start. I'm Janine, and you are listening to KUCI. 88.9 FM in Irvine.